0: Welcome, <laughs> come on in, we've been expecting you, <laughs> grab a chair and pull it up next to the table right next to us, glad you could make it for, 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 for real food, real people, you're oasis in these interesting times, I'm Pat, your host, Shay is dry aging somewhere in a meat locker, but she'll be back soon, and this is producer Doug, hey. not aging in a meat locker somewhere. No. And today we have a guest, um, brand new to the show and pretty new to us, it's Mr. Greg Rempe, the host of the Barbecue Central Show out of Cleveland, Ohio. Hi, Greg. Hi.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. And I'm glad I'm not dry aging in a, in a meat locker.
0: <laughs> Aren't we all? I'm Actually, it's been so warm around here. Yeah. It's, it's cold in there, isn't it? Maybe yeah. that would be a good thing. For a few minutes. <laughs> right. Oh, dear. um, You have an interesting show, and we've listened to, we've kind of binge listened, actually. <laughs> Is that okay to say that?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Binge all you want, especially on my shows.
0: Absolutely. Um, and we've enjoyed all of your guests and things, but why don't you give us a little rundown of what your show is about.
1: So I am what I would term the ESPN of the barbecue and grilling industry. So if you hear the name of the Barbecue Central Show and you think that I'm going to be teaching you how to cook and giving you all of these intricate recipes and stuff that you would see on the Food Network, it is not that. It would be like tuning into Sports Center. So I'm going to talk to competition pit masters. I'm going to talk to the people that make the barbecue pits and the grills and all the accessories the rubs and sauces, the cookbook authors, the bloggers, anybody that has their finger in the live fire industry, if they're tipping the meter, then they will make it on the show. And I try and make a lively show each and every week. We have recurring guests. We have uh, a bunch of new guests uh, also during the course of the year. And then I try to add my subjectively perverse humor to the show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, What platform is your show on?
1: Well, I am on. I'm a multi, multi global platform, really. So I have an audio, a live audio feed. So if you want to tune into the show, the live show, it's a live show now, Tuesdays from nine to eleven p.m. Eastern. Yes. So Glad when that happens, that in there. <laughs> as in, like perhaps tomorrow night between nine and eleven, you can hear the show live as it's happening, as it's unfolding. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Hijinks, shenanigans are afoot, no doubt. At the same time. I'm streaming And, and wait, video. wait, wait,
0: wait. And, and, and fun. Fun and frivolity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Lots of fun and frivolity.
1: <laughs> I'm live video streaming to YouTube, to Facebook, and to Twitch. I also have that live audio stream. And then on top of that, I'm recording. Now, once you end the video at the end of the night, that automatically archives on whatever platform you're at. People can have at it. But I'm also recording audibly and then i take the first hour and make that a release on wednesdays i take the second hour and make that a release on thursdays and because i've been doing it for so long uh, i think 100 and or now 190 episodes into the best moments of the barbecue central show in 10 minutes or less so every friday a friend of mine john solberg who i've contracted he's my michigan and betty correspondent by the way he puts together the best of show every week and uh, next or this coming friday will be 191 episodes so i think between my show and then the subsequent best of show we have to have two of the five longest-running barbecue-related podcasts ever, and they're really mostly about me, which I love.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great history and an encouragement for people that, you know, maybe it's a tough field when um, they're just getting started because, you know, everybody's got a podcast these days. But find your niche, and, you know, that's kind of how I feel about this show is – you know, we're still kind of looking for our niche, but you know, um, you know, you know, do do you, and don't be like everyone else, and you know.
1: The most cool. important part for anybody out there that's listening to Real Food, Real People that are sitting <laughs> alongside the table with us, if you think you want to start a podcast, and the first few thoughts that follow that are, I want to make money, I want to get rich, I'm going to make a lot of money, anything that has to do with money, I'm going to do my best right now to <laughs> talk you out of podcasting. <laughs>
0: Um, well, I do have some questions from a few of our listeners All right. that um, that maybe you didn't already know, but I'm sure you have gleaned from your guests the answers <laughs> to these questions. <laughs> what do you got for us first? One?
2: Okay. So um, our friend Peyton says, I've heard the longstanding debate about whether charcoal grills are better than gas grills. My question would be, which is better or do both produce equal results personally i tend to like gas grills
1: i am a long standing subscriber to owning as many different live fire cooking vessels as you are possibly <laughs> allowed to own either for economics or a loved one allowing you to own so many because why why limit yourself if you can have a charcoal grill and a gas grill you now have two units that can cook differently than each other in a lot of ways, they can cook similarly to each other, but you have two cooking vests. You can do one style of cooking in the charcoal grill, and at the same time, you can do something else in the gas grill if you're entertaining or yeah. you're having some kind of a get-together, or if you're just doing something for you and your loved one, just two people there. you can. There's no reason why you can't use two grills or four <laughs> grills all at the same time because you can do different things. You can assign them different tasks. So Absolutely. I'm not... Skirting around the answer here. I have a gas grill. I absolutely love it. I use it a whole bunch. I think if people look down on the gas grill users, then those people have a problem with themselves. Gas grills are widely the most popular grills in the United States. They're very convenient. If you hear people say, well, I don't like the flavor that gas grills put on my meat, that's a bunch of horse crap. <laughs> flavor your meat. That's complete, completely false. Don't believe that. Now, charcoal cooking does impart a different flavor than you would be able to get from gas grilling. I like it, but I have four ladies in the house, three daughters and a wife, and they're not overly fanatic about the charcoal flavor, so I have to pick my spots on how I'm going to use that cooker. And more times than not, I'll go to gas grill. But again, every grill has its purpose. A kettle cooker or kettle charcoal grill Mm -hmm. does give you some easier options to go from a high heat grilling vessel to more of a low and slow barbecue style because of how you can work the fuel and the air dampers on the top and bottom. You can also roast at that medium temperature in that three seventy five, four hundred degrees. So I call the Weber charcoal kettle grill the gateway drug into barbecue.
0: Because you can do so many
1: things with it and you and you can just have one unit. But eventually you'll graduate out of that in the multiple units. But it's still like one of the best cookers out there. So Isn't think, like that
0: how we got started?
1: Yeah. I think <laughs> you can, you can love both. You're definitely allowed to love both. It's not a competition. It's uh, it's what your palate likes. That's what you should be trusting first and foremost. And if you like the taste of that, then, you know, F everybody else.
0: Yeah, and we have found that, I, we've, again, you know, our kind of our, our redneck way of doing things. We had a, um, well, we actually had a real Weber at the beginning, didn't we? Yep. And then we decided it didn't have a big enough cooking surface. So we went to kind of a knockoff that was a lot bigger, and eventually the legs rusted off. Yep. But the rest of it was still in really good shape. And we have a brick fireplace out back. That, that thing just sits on perfectly. <laughs> so, so we still use it nested on top of our brick fireplace. <laughs> and we also have a gas grill. But um, I think in the long run, I prefer, you know, the gas grill is faster to get started. But when we have time, I really like using the kettle. And we use lump coal. And maybe you could educate me here, because my understanding is briquettes has glue in it. That holds the briquette together.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a binder in the charcoal briquette, but it's there's also just the the way that it's made. Um, charcoal briquettes are more made of coal dust, and then they have that binder. They're put into uh, molds and pressed into that briquette form, and then dumped out. Whereas lump charcoal, if nobody's ever seen it before, if you if we burned a house down to guts and we were walking through it and we were picking up the charred remains of the house. That's what lump charcoal looks like. In its essence, it's really, that's what's happened. They put down wood splits. They put them in these retorts, which is like a big furnace, and they cook all the moisture out of them. It carbonizes the wood. And now you have lump charcoal. So if you're going to ask me to pick a side, I can certainly dance around that uh, very tenderly. <laughs> if I'm, if I want to do a long cook. I will use briquettes because the size is uniform. I know how much heat I'm getting per briquette. And I will use overnight cooks. I almost exclusively use briquettes on something that's only going to be a couple hours or even less. Then I'll use lump charcoal because lump charcoal burns much hotter. There's a lot less ash production than you would get from briquettes. And I personally like the flavor that you could get from some kinds of lump charcoals. Uh, Meathead from AmazingRibs.com always says you shouldn't be using charcoal as a flavoring agent. It should only be used as a heat source. But on some uh, lump charcoal, because of the wood that it's made out of, you might get just a a little bit of a smoky perfuming as well. Mm
0: You know, I hadn't thought about that because, you know, everyone's into their, their apple chips or pecan chips or, you know, hickory chips or whatever that you smoke with. But it never occurred to me to wonder what the, what wood the lump charcoal is made out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should like, you yeah, we also have a wood stove. We should just harvest some of the wood out of there when we go <laughs> dump it <the laughs>
2: My my pal in
1: Michigan makes his own lump charcoal. I mean, you can do it. It's pretty simple. It's just putting in the effort, and it's like anything else. He calls it cooking charcoal. You can overcook it. You can undercook it, but he makes it look very sexy. I've never done it, but he still makes it look pretty sexy.
0: We kind of dance around the edge of um – prepping well around the edge we're, we're somewhat invested in prepping actually but we try to look at things like as,
1: doomsday prepping
0: seeing you know a little bit you know when the <laughs> you know when the crap hits the fan kind of prepping yeah you know or or even we're in the northeast i mean you have the power go out where you are you know if you're not prepared for that that takes a little bit of preparation too yep. but we kind of look at things like How useful is this when you can't, say, say a pellet smoker. When you can't buy the pellets, can you make it work with something that you could forage for? You know what I'm saying?
1: Uh, The answer is no.
0: No. Okay. So we probably (laughs) won't be buying a a pellet smoker. Someone might have to give us one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There you go. We'll take one happily. Sure. (laughs) So that's kind of where we're at with things. Or I like the idea of dual uh, fuel type of setups. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, what, is there one now that I think about it? Yeah.
1: Like uh, okay. gas and charcoal? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of grills made by some pretty major manufacturers like Charbroil, Griller I think, might make one where part of that cooker is a all charcoal grill, and then the other side is a gas grill, natural
0: oh. gas. ours is Charbroil, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but we don't have ours. is not that fancy. No, <laughs> no they fancy. No. <laughs> But And I've mentioned on this show before, our smoker is an offset mm-hmm. that Doug actually found two along the side of the road. And they both had the same issue. Yeah, <laughs> One was smaller and the one we're using currently was bigger. But they both rusted out or burned yeah. out in the same spot.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well here's, here's a rule of thumb on offset smokers. If somebody left them on the side of the road, it's like a box of cats. Just look at it and leave it. Leave it be. (laughs) We're on the side of the road for a reason, right? So, if you're you're looking into an offset, a real offset, um, you know what you're dealing with with somebody leaving on the side of the road is they probably purchased it from a big box store for three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks. Super thin, built with crap tolerance. It's drafty as hell. You can't keep temperature control in it, and it becomes frustrating frustrating enough where you take both of them and leave them on the side of the road and wait for Doug. somebody else. <laughs> so when you invest in a real true texas offset pit now you're talking about quarter inch steel the tolerance are super tight firebox might even be three eighths inch might be insulated but you're also looking at $1, 17 1800 to start with a 36 inch pipe if you go bigger than that obviously the price is going to go up now you might say that's a lot of money but you're going to buy that, and that's going to be it. That's going to sit on the back porch for the rest of your life and for mm-hmm. the rest of whoever you're going to hand that down to's life. As long as you take a minimum amount of care, there's no electrics in it. There's no moving parts in it. There's some hinges that you got to keep greased. You want to make sure that the inside stays nice and taken care of. But other than that, this thing will just stick around forever and ever. It's quarter-inch steel. It's That's what it's made to do, cook and be around forever. People want to buy cheap because it looks like what they want it. But once they get it home, it doesn't act like it should. And then that's where people. And if that's, if that's the first cooker you buy, then you might become frustrated and not be a fan. You might not come into the live fire industry. And I don't want that. That's a fan of my show that might have gotten frustrated and just <laughs> walks away. I don't want that.
0: Well, we've had enough success with it that we're not turned off. We're just, we're somewhat determined to master this little pile of crap.
1: <laughs> well, here's the good news the internet provides all the information that you need. So if you know what brand it is or what kind it is, you can Google blah, 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 bods. And then it will show you to go get, you know, flex hose like from a dryer and you would. You know, take it from where the stack mm-hmm. begins inside the chamber and put it down. Now it's going to help with the draw, and you know, all of a sudden you're spending five hundred dollars in modifications on a five hundred dollar grill, and you're like, "What the hell?" But yeah,
0: really? <laughs> <laughs>
1: certainly, there are ways to make it cook better that people have bustled through already and are sharing their information at will on YouTube.
0: Yeah, and especially with the DIY stuff and the build your own whatever things out there, there's a lot of people trying to make stuff into other things online so that's kind of where we get a lot of our information too but the great thing that we the first time we used it we took the thermometer off the chimney stack on our wood stove which is magnetic and stuck it to the smoker and all of a sudden we had a thermometer yeah there you go it didn't give us the internal temperature but now we have it gave us a start it helped. Um, And now we have a remote thermometer, so we have to try that out. We haven't. It gives us hope. Thermometers
1: are key in everything, in cooking, in monitoring your cooking temperatures of your pit. If you don't have temperatures, you're really operating blind and you're only asking for disaster.
2: Yeah. Okay. um, Another question from a listener. Uh, This is from our friend Dick Gerber, And uh, he says that he is a fan of his vertical propane smoker. What are the selling points of charcoal, like Green Egg, uh, electric, like Green Mountain, and just kind of wondering, you know, why would you choose one over another? Kind of similar to the first question.
1: So I think there. I mean, that's kind of a, a lot in one question there. Yeah. Propane smokers are fine. I'm not necessarily a fan myself of propane smokers, but if you have one and it works well for you, then fine. Like we were talking about gas grills and all this other stuff. If it works for you, I'm not here to hate on anybody's particular operation. When you look at a green egg, and that's a different monster. So now we're talking about, uh, A, it's a charcoal driven device, but it's not charcoal like a Weber Smokey Mountain or a bullet style smoker. This is a ceramic cook, and ceramic cookers are gonna be more expensive. Uh, Big green eggs are always at the top of the price category. You can get a couple of different sizes depending on how many people you're going to be cooking for. But the thing that you have to take into account when you're looking at a big green egg is this is two cookers in one. When the ceramics heat up, if you're running low and slow on a load of charcoal, which might only be three or four pounds, if that, you can get 18 hours, 20 hours of burn time out of a load of charcoal because the ceramics heat up, becomes very fuel efficient. It's very miserly as far as the fuel consumption is concerned so that's good and high heat cooks well that's the other thing so you can do low and slow really well that's one style of cooker that's a smoker well then you can rip open the bottom dampers and the top uh, daisy wheel on the top of that thing and get it up to 800 degrees and now you're cooking high heat grilling steaks and thinner cuts and dogs and chops and all that other stuff and uh, you can close it all down right when you're done and the uh, not the the lack of air will suffocate the coals. Well, you can reuse those again next time, and depending on how you look, cook how long you cook on that time, you can reuse them again for a third time. So, ceramic cookers have a number of benefits that you have to make sure you understand when you're going to buy that cooker, because a lot of people get sticker shock, and within that oh shit moment, as they see how much the XL Big Green Egg costs, they run away from it, but they don't realize that that can be two cookers. Or three cookers. And one, you can do pizza in it. You can do everything. You can bake in it, of course. So that's, and then when he references the Green Mountain Grill, uh, it's electric, but uh, that's a pellet cooker. So you need the wood pellet to cook those. You need electricity to cook those. Uh, you can get electricity in a number of different ways. You can get a, a Lion Energy um, a solar pack thing and, and be as green as you could possibly be when it comes to electric. Bring a car battery and take the clips and flip them onto the battery, run it that way. (laughs) Or you can plug it into the side of the house like normal people would do if that's the only way you have access. Um, They also, a lot of these higher-end Green Mountain grills have 12-volt converters. So you can, if you were at a parking lot and you have a car, you just stick it into the uh, 12-volt receptacle in your car and you can power that grill and away you go. So there are a number of different ways to get the electricity to that, but you have to have electricity to make it go. And you have to have the wood-grade food pellets and the benefit there is you're getting a what I would call a light smoke flavor. Uh, pellet cookers are notoriously light on smoke. You're not going to get the same kind of smoke profile that you would get on an offset cooker because of the way they burn. But a lot of people don't like heavy smoke, and a pellet cooker is right up those folks' alleys. Give you a little bit of a perfuming, but nothing Okay. And I did not answer that question question very well. But those are <laughs> those are the differences in the cookers. One isn't better. Again, uh, he should keep his get, or his propane cooker, but buy a Green Mountain Grill, and he should buy a Big Green Egg, and he should buy uh, a Texas Offset if he wants to. That way, he has everything.
0: There you go. And I want to give a little shout out to Daguerre Bear because uh, he's the one that tuned us into listening to Malcolm Reed from... What is his show? Barbecue How to Barbecue Book. Right. Barbe- How to Barbecue Right. And we enjoy watching him, too. So, right. so thanks to Gear Bear. <laughs> We so And and if nothing else, I oh, rats, I'll have to say this for the other half. <laughs> anyway, we're going to go refill our coffee cups and bring them back to the table. And we're going to see you on the other side mm. after we listen to our sponsors. So thanks, Greg, for all your information. And we got more questions for you coming right up. Today we have with us Melissa from Taste in Jamaican.
3: Well, thank you, Pat. I do want to tell everybody about Tasting Jamaican Caribbean-style salsa. It's made with mango, lime, brown sugar, a little touch of smoke in it. And so it has a unique flavor that is not like your Mexican-style salsas.
0: And there's all kinds of flavors. What are the flavors you got?
3: We decided that we would go the whole way and just do a mild, medium, a hot, and an extra hot. Our initial flavor was a hot salsa, and it was made with ghost pepper. We call that nuclear. That one, everyone tells us, is the perfect blend. Blend of heat and sweet and then we have cuban we do a strawberry in the spring we do a blueberry peach in the summer for the fall we have the pumpkin spice and then we have a cranberry which is for around christmas uh, what we want to do is offer the people that are listening to your podcast a 15 percent discount and the code will be real food yeah and so they can find us on our website we are on tastingjamaican.com
0: Here's our friend and former guest, Joe Borio.
2: Hey guys, welcome to my kitchen. Another big, exciting day in my kitchen. Where are we going? We need some olive oil. I would want something from Italy. I want something earthy. I want something really grassy. I want something with some some robust flavor in there. And the best olive oil in the world comes from Puglia, Italy, which is right above the heel. And I happen to own a farm there. We co-op with a whole group of farms in that whole region to bring you some of the best extra virgin Italian olive oil you're ever going to have. I named the company after my two boys, Vito and Joe, and you guys can go to my Facebook page or my webpage, Cooking Italian with Joe, and just click olive oil, buy it now, and we'll literally drop ship you, I don't know, if you're feeling crazy, right, three, four, five bottles of olive oil, we'll drop ship it right to your front doorstep. I like to think of it as taking a trip to Italy right in a bottle.
0: You can find Joe on YouTube at Cooking Italian with Joe. Well, we're back. Thanks for waiting for us. We've got a lot more questions for Mr. Greg Rempe, host of, what is it, the Barbecue Central Show. But right now, we're going to have Doug tell you how to get in touch with us, because that's more important. No, it isn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you want to check us out on Facebook at Real Food, Real People Show, and our Facebook group is the same name. Uh, if you're on Twitter, find us at RealFoodCat1 and at RealFoodshay, and use the hashtag RealFoodrealPeople to share recipes and photos. Look for us on Instagram at Real Food Real People Show, and of course you can email us at RealFoodrealPeopleShow at gmail.com with your recipes, comments, and show suggestions. You can listen to us every day on Spoonie.com at 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. And anytime you have time on Spreaker iHeart, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcasts. If you can't get enough of us, sometimes we post a second helping, and you can check that out,
0: too. And, Greg, um, tell everybody how to get in touch with you.
1: The website is thebbqcentralshow.com. Facebook is slash bbqcentralshow. YouTube is slash rdrempe, which is lame. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, Twitter <laughs> at BBQ Central Show, TikTok at BBQ Central Show, Snapchat at BBQ Central because I'm a dope and forgot to put show when I signed up. Uh, <laughs> and I think is that is that all of them. Twitter, yeah, Instagram at BBQ Central Show as well. And then uh, the live show is every Tuesday from seven uh, nine to eleven p.m. Eastern. You can find it over on those Facebook pages and YouTubes and uh, Twitch pages. Uh, Twitch, by the way, is slash BBQ Central Show as well. And then you can subscribe to the podcast on any podcast platform by just searching the BBQ Central Show and away you go. All right.
0: Go give it a shot. It's a lot of fun. Before we move on. what's
1: up? Can I interrupt just for one second? Absolutely. Listen to a show all the way through. And if you don't like it, listen to the next show. And if you don't like that. Listen to the next show and continue on in that form, please.
2: You give me a change. You're bound to find something you like That's eventually.
0: Right. <laughs> but there really is a lot of fun and frivolity. How, you see that special way you say it. Frivolity. <laughs> frivolity. <laughs> um, I want to say a little something about a friend, Sean, who has been developing a barbecue sauce for the last several years and he it's he was saying that he's on the verge of coming up with ways to market it mm-hmm. and uh, i heard you say on one of your shows that you try you will you will rate people sauces can you say a little bit about that
1: i mean there was a time where i was getting uh, three and four bottles of sauce a week people saying hey Yay. <laughs> but here's what i would say if you really love your barbecue sauce and you already have it ready to go, you've gotten all the hard stuff out of the way, and you're just ready to bring it to market, and you want me to try it, and you want me to talk about it on the show, then I would say this. If there is even a shade of liquid smoke in there, you're going to be Uh worth the deficit. I don't particularly like it. In fact, I hate it. I've nicknamed it the devil's urine. So if it's in there, I can smell it. I can. Now, in some cases... After it goes on food or if it gets some heat put to it, because the same the cooking guy says heat changes things, sometimes that liquid smoke will get uh, baked out of it, let's say it that way. But other times, if they're pretty heavy-handed with it, it's just going to stick around. And then it's a loser for me. I mean, it's average at best. So I prefer my sauces to not have liquid smoke. Now, not to contradict myself, but I love living in contradiction.
2: The majority
1: (laughs) of... Barbecue sauce buyers must love it because when you go to the grocery store, if you rip off 10 bottles randomly off the barbecue shelf there in the grocery store, and by the way, how big has that gotten over the last five or six years? Oh, my word. it's turned into an an aisle. aisle. Unbelievable. (laughs) I would say 10 out of 12 barbecue sauces, if you grabbed them off the aisle, will have some measure of what they call liquid smoke or this one, natural flavoring, which is liquid Uh, smoke. They just don't want to say it in there. But you can smell it, and people must love it because the vast majority of sauces have it in there. And that's also why I learned how to make my own barbecue sauce. It doesn't have it in there. If I wanted to put it in there, I could, but I don't prefer it, so I don't have it in there.
0: Sure. Actually, no. so if somebody put smoked paprika in, would you interpret that as liquid smoke? Or now, liquid
1: smoke is its own piece of crap all on its own. It stands it's by the mountain. of crap. It very,
0: It's very bitter, I think.
1: Now, if your buddy wants to send me a bottle of sauce,
0: all right, I'll, I'll give it a whirl.
1: But I will also tell everybody what I think of it. But if you don't want that to happen, don't send it to me.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, there. But be forewarned. <laughs> so what else do we have to, to ask
2: you? Okay. Our friend Andrew Donaldson, uh, who has been on the show uh, recently and is the... Uh, kind of the curator of uh, hashtag Twitter Supper Club, asks, how has technology in the uh, barbecue world uh, changed things for the average home cooker uh, in recent years?
1: Well, I think the American way is to try and not have to learn anything or have somebody (laughs) else do it for you. And technology has helped in an incredible way to the point at this stage you have... Weber, who just recently went public alongside of Traeger Grills. I mean, I never thought you would see grill companies go public like that. Um, Yeah, They are really trying to provide equipment. And especially Weber has gone out of their way. Their CEO, Chris Scherzinger, has gone out of his way as they were going public to say, we're trying to automate this whole cooking process for the home cook. So they don't even have to know when to flip it. You'll get an alert on your phone or we'll ding something and say, (laughs) okay, flip the meat. Okay, it's five seconds away from being done. Make sure you run out to the grill. Okay, now pull it off. Now let it rest for this long. Okay, now it's at target temperature. Now cut your meat. Now eat it. Chew. Don't forget to swallow. Oh my God. <laughs> Have a drink of water.
0: That sounds like the Rectech.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's what they're trying to accomplish. And that's over the top. Really where technology has helped is in the thermometering industry. They've made instant read meat thermometers. They've made really accurate thermometers that will give you very quick reading so you can be in and out of the grill or in and out of the barbecue pit much more quickly than you were able to in years past. The technology as far as Wi-Fi being able to tie into your local area network with remote thermometering has vastly improved over the last 10 years. So you can be at the grocery store and you can be monitoring the temperature of the meat that's on the barbecue pit watching it rise. Uh, they make automatic pit temperature control devices sponsor my show is called the barbecue guru they created that you put this little fan at the bottom of your cooker and it will micro pulse the charcoal to keep it stoked you can set a temperature that you want that pit to run at and in essence it's like a electric pit where you would set a thermostatic control except it's using the live coals in your cooker and then as the meat starts to ramp up in temperature if you're not there and it's getting done too quickly, you can either A, adjust the temperature of the pit down so it takes longer to get to that finished temperature, or if it nails the finished temperature, you just put it into hold mode, and it will run that cooker at 140 degrees, 150 degrees, keep it above where the nasties will start. You know, food safety, you want to keep it below 40 or above 140. And it's just, again, a nice piece of technology that you didn't have a number of years ago that have advanced the interest just from the general Jane and Joe public in the live fire.
2: Sure. Wow. Do, you, do you think that that encourages more people to get into barbecuing? or
1: The answer is yes. The answer is also it seems to preclude people's interest of learning how to build and manage a fire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I, I'm... i See, that's
0: part of the challenge to me.
1: I totally agree. And when I came into this type of scene, there, there wasn't the want to just get to setting a temperature and doing it that way. It was almost a badge of honor to learn. We used to call it learning your pit, whatever pit you had. You learned how to bring the temperature up in the pit to start. You learned how to stabilize it. You learned how to cook with meat in it, and if you had to go in it, how to make da- uh, damper adjustments or how to refuel if you're going to have to if it was overly long. Uh, same thing to go with a, an offset pit, how to learn how to get the draft going and when you were going to need to run sticks and you're constantly cooking on that temperature arc. Those are things that I think if you're a real, if you want to be called a pit master, <laughs> and I don't even know what the hell that term means, but to me, a pit master <laughs> is going to be somebody that can go from a pellet cooker to a charcoal cooker to an offset wood stick-throwing cooker and being able to operate it and produce an end product that's going to be favorable to the masses. And I think you're missing out on an element of barbecuedness by not knowing how to manage a fire, build and manage a fire, but you're also missing out on a whole romantic part of the, the barbecue aspect of it. I mean, there's nothing better than sitting next to a firebox and throwing a log in and watching it catch and seeing it burn down and watching the velocity of the smoke come out of the stack and knowing if your fire is running right just by how fast the smoke is coming out of the stack. It's great to be able to plug something in or set a temperature and just have it there so you can make a pretty decent end product right off the bat. But there's Mm -hmm. also something to be said for the majesty that is learning how to build and maintain a fire. I highly encourage it. A lot of people don't want to mess around with that, but if you have the option yeah. of learning it, I mean, why not have that skill? You could be out in the middle of nowhere, and at least you know how to make a fire and manage it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Who knows and, when
1: doomsday's coming for crying out loud, everybody. I know
0: it. <laughs> Absolutely. So anything I feel like you could know, do basic, well wow, is, is worth the time. And I'm, I, one other thing I want to throw in there is I'm inspired to keep trying, even though we don't have a real fancy um, smoker. I keep hearing about this. Jiggle.
1: On the brisket. Yes. Yes.
0: That I I can't imagine cooking something that long and there being anything to jiggle. So for me, I'm like, (laughs) I I want to experience that.
1: (laughs) Well, we know for sure that if you've cooked a brisket long enough and it doesn't jiggle, then something's wrong. And if it is jiggling, you've done everything right.
0: (laughs) We've experienced the the wrong. We've experienced uh, you know, many people have have for sure. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> happens <to> everybody.
0: <laughs> oh, quick question: Did do I understand that you concreted your whole backyard?
1: A side yard. We just leave a, a, a portion of grass in the back for the cats to frolic in.
0: <laughs> okay, and everything else has a has a char- has a cooker on it. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you would not have to mow, honey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, onward. Okay, so.
2: The last two questions are more cooking questions, actual food questions. Our friend Kevin asks, uh, excluding bell peppers and jalapenos, what is the best pepper to use with, and then chicken, pork, or beef, and what smoke would you pair with it?
1: Peppers, not jalapenos, or... Or bell peppers. Or bell peppers. I mean, if you like the Mexican flair, I mean, poblano peppers or really good to use um hungarian wax peppers are good on the smoker as well um, i i happen to be a huge fan of jalapeno peppers if he's worried about heat i would say um chop the tops off uh half them down long ways and scrape the fins and the seeds out and then if you put them on the smoker the longer you cook them the more heat gets cooked out of them. so after you know 25 30 minutes at 350 degrees there might be a little bit of heat, but it's going to be more pepper flavor than heat. So, uh, again, heat changing things uh, certainly applies to the jalapenos. As far as smoke flavor goes, you know, let's be honest. If anybody's going to sit there and tell you that they can take a bite of meat and go, oh, well, that was made with oak. They're lying. <laughs> <laughs> there are very, very, very few woods that you're going to sit there and be able to nail like it's a wine of some sort. <laughs> what you're getting is this heavier woods, mesquite, which, by the way, might be the only wood that people would be able to, to know off the palate right away because of how heavy it actually is.
0: Yeah, I hear that's an acquired flavor. Acquired I like it with flavor.
1: steak. Um, I don't mind it with steak. So I've done it with turkey before, too, when I was just in the beginning, because that was the only wood I could find at Home Depot. So I spoke everything <laughs> with mesquite at that point. But it wasn't too bad, but it goes great with beef. Uh, mesquite is really good. Uh, oak is also a heavier wood. Uh, hickory is also a heavier wood. And then when you get into the lighter woods, so that's going to be more your fruit woods. So uh, you have, uh, we use cherry a lot up here. It's indigenous up here in yeah. the Ohio area. Also apple, also uh, orange as well. So those oh, yeah. are nice lighter woods that are going to go well With You know, chicken's a delicate meat, so I don't know if you want to put a thicker or a heavier palated smoke on chicken. If you want something a little bit more complementary to the fact that chicken is just more delicate, you know, apple wood is going to be good. A cherry is going to be good as well. Uh, Maybe a hickory as well if you want to go a little heavier on that. So those are my recommendations. But don't ever fall for somebody telling you that they can pull a species of wood after having a taste of barbecue. That's total BS. Uh Where does pecan fall in here? Pecan is uh, probably in the the middle of that, but widely popular. I just don't have any access to it. Otherwise, I would use. uh, That's competition wood choice of the best of the best. If they can get their hands on pecan, they will also find people that purvey pecan wood and buy it over the Internet. They love it that much. So that is a stalwart competition wood. It's very well, good.
0: It seems to be the only chip we got right now, isn't it? Like, where yeah, do we get it from?
2: We've got a couple
0: others. Oh, do we? Okay. We've uh, got
2: some Apple of our own that I want to chip up. and. Oh,
0: that's
1: true. Apple is so great. It, I mean, it doesn't really have a high BTU, so you want to be using it alongside of charcoal, or you're going to have to go through it if you're running an offset pit, but... I really like the flavor of apple a lot, and I, I use cherry almost exclusively at this point because I have a good source for it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. It's nice when you have, like, trees around you that helps. Yeah, I mean, That's what
1: I'm telling That's what I would like to express, too, just because I'm telling you one's heavy, one's not. If you live in an area where shag bark hickory is prevalent, then use that. Just don't use a lot of it. If you sit in an area where post oak is the main wood of choice, then use post oak. Use what's indigenous to you and save yourself the extra expense of having it shipped in or driving wherever you're going to go. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had an ash borer bug issue where you couldn't take wood that was cut down over county lines. Mm-hmm. So it was yep. illegal to take it yeah. anywhere. So you have to be mindful of all that.
0: Yeah. And um, isn't there something that there's a lot of up here that you're not supposed to cook over? Is that black walnut? Pine? Well, pine. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> ooh, love that pine tar. Yeah. <laughs> What else you got
2: there, Douglas? Okay, so our, our last uh, question from a listener, uh, our friend Chip uh, says On barbecue ribs, uh, what temperature and for how long? Um, and then he says, I use a grill mat to keep the liquid contained. Is that good or not? And should you flip the ribs and how, you know, once or multiple times or not at all?
1: So he's left out some key bits of information. I don't know what kind of cooker he's using. So right. that's gonna be a key to what temperature you might want to operate in to me i found that for ribs and i use st louis style cut spare ribs i'm not a huge fan of baby back ribs but that's just my preference uh, when I,
0: enough meat, Adam, for uh,
1: I don't i haven't priced them out recently too but earlier in the summer ribs were way out of control on price where i weren't they weren't even on my mind to actually cook for a weekend i mean they were unbelievably priced so hopefully they've come back down especially with Labor Day approaching, and I wanted to do ribs. But I'm, yeah. uh, I'm a, a spare rib, a St. Louis cut guy, 275. I like to go three hours or until I get the color of the ribs that I want, and then I'll go into a brief wrapping period and then uh, let them come back out into the smoke maybe for 35 or 40 minutes, depending on how they feel, and then away we go to, to serve. So, uh, But, again, that's going to change – if I do the same ribs in my LANG offset, that thing moves an incredible amount of air through it. So the ribs will actually get done quicker because of the volume of air that's getting pushed through that cooker than it would on a pellet cooker. just not nearly moving as much air through it as my LANG is. Uh, same thing would go for a bullet-style smoker like the Weber Smoky Mountain. So the times might be varying to what I'm saying here, but there's some key things that you want to take into account when you're doing ribs. Um, A, whatever temperature you're going to work at, keep it consistent there because that's going to build the baseline of knowledge for you for the next cook. You should always be taking notes every time you cook. So you can say this was the temperature, this was the temperature outside, this was the temperature of the cooker, this is how long it took, the wind was blowing out of the east. And this is all basic stuff that you want to do so you can help yourself become a better cook the next time. You, you can always refer back and go, well, this is what I liked the last time. This is what I didn't like. Now this is what I'll change. And then you'll document this cook as well. Um, uh, Jess Pryles from HardcoreCarnivore.com makes a great uh, uh, book. I actually have it right here. Uh, you can't see it because uh, you're not watching video. But um, <laughs> it's, it's blood proof. It's waterproof. You can document everything. I mean, it's, a, it's a great resource. on Stone paper, I think, is what it's called. So it's really hmm. nice to prevent You can get liquids on it of all sorts, evidently. And it's not going to degrade the paper, and you can still write on it. So it's a, it's a great <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it. I mean. journal, I think, is what she calls it. So that's a, a great pickup. Uh, good for a stocking stuffer coming up for the holidays for all you people. So um, so be mindful of that. And then uh, I like to work off of uh, color initially. So there's that popular 3-2-1 method. That you might hear about three hours in the cooker, two hours in the foil, and then one hour back outside of the foil on the cooker to tighten everything up. I find, depending on what temperature you're running at, the two hours in the foil can be an extreme amount because what's happening in the foil is the steaming and tenderizing. And if you overshoot in the foil, uh, you're you basically have meat mush. Like something that you would get at uh, Damon's or uh, Tony (laughs) Roma's or, you know, something along these lines back. You know, it was just kind of like there was no texture to the meat at all. And I don't personally like that. A lot of people were convinced that fall off the bone ribs or meat mush was the sign of a perfectly cooked rib. And uh, to my palate, that's incorrect. I like to, there's a whole different thing we could talk about on that. I'm glad you said
0: that (laughs) because I don't like falling off the bone mush either. I
1: like tender. I don't like I have to tug at it, um, and there's some restaurants that make them like that on purpose, but I like taking a bite from wherever it is on the bone and all that I've bitten has come off the bone, but the rest stays on. Yes. Nice and tender. I mean, To me, that's a perfect rib. It's widely considered to be a perfectly cooked rib on many of the different barbecue scenes and circuits, so that's what I shoot for myself. So I like to go three hours at 275. Usually I get that color. Um, If the rub doesn't come off, if everything is kind of set, that bark is kind of set up, then it can go in the foil. I like to go at an hour and then see how it looks after that with the bones kind of pulling back. Take a toothpick, kind of poke around, see how it feels. And then I'll take it out of the foil, back on to the cooker, unfoiled. And then I'm looking literally for an internal temperature of 206
0: to 208 degrees. Okay. You're so least- I,
1: I will go internal temperature on my ribs. I didn't used to be like that. Um, I used to like hold and do the bend test, uh, see if it would crack in the middle. Uh, a lot of people like to say a quarter inch of bone pullback from the end of the bones is also a sign. There's a bunch of different signs, but what do we know about science? Uh, it's it's temperature measurement. Uh, so get my temperature gauge out, and once it gets to the 206, it's good with me. Then you there can I wrap go. them in uh, cellophane or plastic wrap to hold them for another half an hour or so if you need to, and they'll still be just as good. So in
0: your learning days, did you ever have something literally go up in smoke, like, you know, a conflagration? that? Literally Wait, up did? in smoke. Literally, literally up in smoke. Pit barrel cooker.
1: <laughs> uh, pit barrel cooker is known throughout the land as the hanging smoke So it's a upright barrel smoker. You build the fire on the bottom. It's got two pieces of rebar that go through the top and then they send hooks. And I put hooks, two or three bones down into the rack. And you can hang uh, a total of eight racks of ribs in this pit barrel cook. So it's really great for cooking a mass amount of ribs. Maybe I lost track of where I was in the cook. Who knows what happened? And I came out to the back porch to what seemed to be the pit barrel cooker now on fire. So I opened the top, and two of the racks had gotten too tender. My fault for not checking on it. And the hook ripped through the ribs, and down onto the coals they went.
0: Uh.
1: So it was a smoking mess. And as soon as I popped the top on that thing, the oxygen rusted in, and that thing shot up in flames like it was an <laughs> industrial sized Roman candle. It was epic. <laughs> It was also a wild so, waste of six racks of ribs.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. And people from miles around, could she flame suiting into the air?
1: <laughs> I can tell you, that went into my journal for next <laughs> ribs on the pit barrel car.
0: Oh, what not to do. Rock now, card. I've heard of pit barrel uh, smokers, whatever, when Rob Carson had a show on Spoonie um, what, a couple years ago now, and he had one of his advertisers was pit barrel mm-hmm. smokers and so you know I was always kind of intrigued by that we looked them up once and pulled the trigger on it also that's where I heard of meathead um Goldwin goldwin yeah, he's a
1: big uh, he's a big fan just call him meathead Meathead. I mean, anything else he might take you to task
0: yeah I was, I was <laughs> okay I'll be careful <laughs> but you know very engaged it was a lot of fun so um, I approve of your guests and I approve of your your Thank advertisers um, I do have a question for myself. Well, what do you, when you are putting together a quick, say, a basting sauce or a marinade, a marinade that turns into a basting sauce, what do you do like real quick? I got to grab five things and make a sauce.
1: You know, if I'm going to sauce anything, I'll, I'll make my own barbecue sauce. And then right at the end, like for ribs, uh, sometimes if I want to glaze a pork butt for presentation, uh, right at the last 15 minutes or so, um, I'll... Because my homemade sauce is more of a thinner sauce. So it could, I guess, technically be classified as some kind of a. Uh of a glaze, I guess.
0: Okay. Well, we don't always, you know, every now and then it's like, Ooh, let's do something different. But this one day I was like, I just was faced with just plain old chicken breast. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, and that, that, that inspires me to put something on it. Yeah. And I, I also I make limoncello from scratch. And so we had limoncello and I just glugged some of that into the bowl. And I put an egg, salt, pepper, garlic, a little oil. That was outstanding. I was very pleased with myself for just throwing. <laughs> Stuff together. we well, good. But the lemon, what the lemon and the sweet and the alcohol was all right in the bottle, so it just made it really easy. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask you. So, what what is in your um say you, your last minute glaze? Is, it, is there a lot of sugar in it?
1: Uh, so it's basically two cups of apple cider vinegar, a couple ketchup, and then there's garlic. Uh, Garlic powder, onion powder. There's a half a cup of brown sugar, half a cup of mm-hmm. honey, a cup Ooh, of water, <laughs> black pepper, chili powder, and that's what I can remember off the top of my head.
0: Okay, no, so nothing that,
1: that, too, nothing too crazy. You should, you know, a uh, celery salt. There's celery salt in there too. I love celery salt.
0: Sure. Well, that certainly works. And it's, you know, so you're putting candy on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely more of a vinegar-based sauce. Uh, it's not like sweet Kansas City-style thick kind of stuff, which I think is why it also is a good sauce sauce for a lot of different things, uh, but then it can also work as a glaze as well, because it is on the thinner side.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about sauces. I wanted to bring up that um, I remember your guest from a couple of weeks ago. She had this amazing story in your second half. Uh, Jackie
1: the- Taylor. Jackie Taylor. Rusek program.
0: Yes. Um, have you heard of dinosaur barbecue sauce? Yes,
1: I've had him on my show. Oh so you have barbecue,
0: yes. That started about an hour away you know from know I the have the number one barbecue show. <laughs> oh,
1: there you
2: know. oh, I'm
0: sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that started about an hour away from us in Syracuse. And they
2: kind of started just going out and doing events and then they put together a restaurant in Syracuse. Yeah. Oh they now they've got a few.
0: Yeah, and they got known for doing the, the food at rendezvous. Yep. Right. So so they what the heck would this you know make a thing out of it so but that those those are local people (laughs) it made me think of that when you had her on yeah it's amazing you know just the dinosaur barbecue section of the grocery store is you know several feet long (laughs) oh
1: yeah very popular
0: i do like their stuff actually there's uh and they've, they've made so many different sauces since they started out it was kind of like oh and you and who was it was it meathead you were trying to think of um how many different barbecue sauces there were and like who had heard of open pit like back in the 70s open pit and craft yeah with the barbecue sauces you could find in the store
1: Yeah, think about how bad that was back in the 1970s. You know, as I've gotten older and done more history searching, I've realized that the mid-70s or the mid-80s were some of the worst times ever on the history of the Earth.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, to a degree. There were things about it, that's for sure. I think, well, these days we might be challenging that, but... um... But the uh, open pit was actually, well, since you only had two to choose from, you know, open pit was my go to sauce. And then I discovered, hey, there's more out there than open pit.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I was an open pit fan, except you just couldn't really eat it with your hands because it would stain you orange.
0: Yeah. Which was really right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> um, Do you have, okay, what does your family love to have you cook for them on the grill or saucy? Or- or side
1: dish. Uh, look, I've raised uh, what we would call steak snobs in the world. So, <laughs> benefit of this position is getting to have some of the most luxurious meat you can get your hands on, and uh, we'll we'll share it around. The girls have grown up on prime wagyu, A five Kobe. I mean, it's uh, they've wow. they've run the gamut. So if you go and get a, a choice steak, all of a sudden they're like. <laughs> The hell is this? How dare wow. you put this in front of me? And I was like, well, you know, you ladies have really taken it to a different level here, and i you might want to back it down. This is my lifestyle we're living. This isn't your lifestyle that you're living.
2: Yeah, so they better find them some rich man.
1: That. You better. Uh, <laughs> they like steak on the grill, no doubt about it. On uh, the barbecue, everybody loves pulled pork. That has been, for as long as I've been in it, that was the very first thing that I ever did when I got my Weber Smoky Mountain. That's a lie. I actually did a rack of ribs, and they were horribly average. But after I figured out how to use it, the next thing I did was pulled pork. And it was great, and it's been a mainstay at the house. The girls will love it. They asked me to always have some on hand, easy to vacuum pack, and then just yep. drop in a hot pan of water and bring it back to life, and it's great. So those are their two favorite things.
0: Yeah, you know, I have found that you really have to try hard to screw up pulled pork.
1: That's very forgiving.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's why it works for me. I think um, side dishes. What what are, what do they like for side dishes?
1: Uh, we do baked beans. So I'll take the bushes, regular baked beans, drain them, and add a very small, uh, very very small onion uh, to that. Uh, some yellow mustard, brown sugar, and then I take Stubbs original barbecue sauce, a bottle of it, and then pour it in there, and then onto the smoker for a handful of hours. If I have every any, any extra barbecue meat, like uh, extra brisket or pulled pork left over, I'll chop it up, throw it in there as well. And wow. uh, that's always a hit. Also, uh, like appetizer slash uh, side dish we will do atomic buffalo turds. So you oh. take a whole jalapeno, <laughs> you cut it in half lengthwise, you scrape out the guts, and then you stuff it either side with a mixture of browned breakfast sausage mixed with uh, cream cheese. And then you put a piece of bacon around it and onto the cooker at 350 degrees for about 20 minutes until the bacon is done. And I'm telling you right now, if you make 700 of these, Uh, all 700 will be gone. You can't make enough. I don't know why it is. I've made 10 before. I've made 50 before. It doesn't matter. Same Mm -hmm. amount of people will eat them all. They're just delicious in every way possible, in sauce, outside of sauce, all by themselves. And now you can get as creative as you want. You can stuff them with pulled pork or brisket or just cheese or whatever you want. But that's the winning combination for us. My oldest, who's in college, right now, when she comes home to visit, it's always, I don't care what you make as long as you make atomic buffalo turds as well.
0: <laughs> you know, that's just a little bit, um, a little takeoff on what we have found to be hugely successful around here. Is What do we call them?
2: Um, Palapeno poppers. poppers or- but
0: what was it? Oh, armadillo eggs. armadillo eggs. I've heard the, um, the Duck Dynasty people call them, but it's like you said, the jalapeno, the cream cheese, and the bacon, but the addition of sausage in there sounds quite intriguing. I think oh, we need really. to try that. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge hit around here. We try to do kind of like a, an hors d'oeuvre buffet on Christmas Eve <laughs> when the guys come home and, oh, But anyway, we always have them. But here we are at the end of the show. You always sneak up on me, Douglas. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we've really been enjoying Greg Ramsey. And go listen to his show because it's great. But we need to remind you to come back to the table, hug your family, hug your friends, and do remember to make every meal a memory. And barbecue, too. So (laughs) always remember to barbecue. Right, Greg?
1: That's right. And thanks for having me for crying out loud.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Do come back again. (laughs)